Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you the first in our three-part series dedicated to workplace investigations. Although we've spoken quite often about workplace investigations in various episodes, we wanted to dig a little deeper into this area of HR as it's an area we know can be quite challenging. Episode one of this series, the first one today, we're taking a deeper look at conducting a workplace investigation. And to talk to us about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very good, Owen. Thanks. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, so. Brilliant stuff. So let's get to it. Um, so Liam, if you can kind of kick us off. So I suppose we know generally what a workplace investigation is. We've spoken about it a lot. But can you give us a deeper insight into the what, the how, and the objectives of a workplace investigation? What do we want to achieve, I suppose, when we're conducting one? Sure. Um, well, I suppose, Owen, what, what are we trying to achieve in general terms? A workplace investigation is organized or comes about where a particular allegation or concern has been raised within the workforce that could be around alleged theft, alleged misappropriation of funds, alleged sexual harassment, alleged um, bullying at work, or really any issue which an employer might be concerned about in terms of their duty of care to, to employees. And typically a workplace investigation is a neutral, independent process, which is objective in nature. Uh, to try and establish facts in relation to what has or hasn't occurred. And I, I think there's a particular emphasis there on the independence of the process, the impartiality of the process and the objectivity of the process. Because very often um, on our travels, we come across workplace investigations that have been carried, possibly carried out internally or carried out by somebody who is known to the person who is being investigated. And I think it's always bet, best that there is a clear line of impartiality between the person who is conducting the investigation and any of the allegations or concerns that have been raised. So it would be very important if someone has a potential conflict of interest that they would absent themselves from potentially investigating the, the matter at hand. But generally, it's a process um, which is designed to establish whether certain, certain incidents have taken place or not, or whether certain company policies, be that the dignity at work policy or the uh, grievance policy or the disciplinary policy have been breached by the conduct or behavior of the individual employee. Brilliant. And I suppose, Mary, we know that when you get into workplace investigations, it's obviously quite complex, a lot of stages to it. So I suppose, are there, some, are there certain key things to consider before commencing, before jumping into a workplace investigation? Absolutely. First thing that anyone who's carrying out a workplace investigation needs to do is check the policies and procedures and make sure 
you understand under which policy you're going to carry out the investigation. And that can be different depending on the nature of the investigation. So if you think about the the areas where you might investigate something, you've got the grievance procedure where you might investigate concerns raised by an employee. You've got the discipline procedure where you might investigate concerns of the employer. Um, And typically that might be around performance, conduct, behavior, um, uh, theft, misappropriation of funding, embezzlement, fraud, those kind of things. Um, And then you've got the third area um, when it comes to workplace investigation around uh, dignity at work. So that might be bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, equality. Um, And these are areas in which you have to be clear about, well, what procedures are you actually using before you ever start and then you've got to put together terms of reference and the terms of reference governs the whole investigation and it outlines who the investigator is the time frame um, for the investigation the complaints or the allegations or the concerns that you're going to investigate and uh, all of the procedures around witness interviews, uh, who's going to coordinate those interviews, uh, right down to who's actually going to, to receive the report and how the evidence might be collected. Um, and so that's a very, very important document that will guide the entire investigation process. Then you've got to look at the complaint itself, whatever that complaint is or uh, allegation, whatever that allegation is, and ensure that you have read it and understood it uh, and have considered who you're going to interview, how you're going to interview, what other sources of information do you need to be able to arrive um, at a finding of fact. And I think we, we speak there about um, terms of reference, Liam and Mary outlined them and kind of touched upon it there. But I suppose to kind of add to that, why are they so important? I suppose they do give a a real structure to the investigation, don't they? They're obviously probably the most important thing. Would I be right? You would be right, Owen. I, I think terms of reference are absolutely key to whether an investigation is going to be successful or not. And it's it's very, very important that you take your time. And as Mary said, consider the different policies or procedures under which the terms of reference is going to be drafted. And the terms of reference essentially set out what the investigation is about and what is the purpose of the investigation. And it may very well often be, you know, the, the, the terms of reference is, you know, to investigate allegations from A against B and counter allegations from B against A. It's important to define very often the scope and the limitations of the terms of reference. So, you know, we're not investigating every interaction that A and B had over their 15 to 20 year employment history at company XYZ. We're very much forensically focusing in on the the specifics and and the themes within any complaint or or set of allegations. Um, And that's why it's important that people take their time and possibly get professional advice from a third party if they are drafting terms of reference, because incorrectly drafted terms of reference makes the investigation process very, very difficult. 
And, you know, if you haven't taken your time or taken the appropriate advice or have experience of drafting terms of reference, you may end up with a situation where you conduct an investigation, but don't get to the heart of the complaint or the heart of the allegation or the specifics of the allegation or complaint. So it's very, very important to take your time. And the terms of reference will also set out what is the situation in relation to how evidence is going to be gathered, whether it's by dictaphone or by notes or by MS Teams or Zoom or whatever. From a GDPR point of view, how is that evidence going to be maintained and stored and then deleted when the investigation is, is finalized? It will also govern in terms of the, the, the time frame of the expected investigation and, and delays. It will govern things like um, you know, where meeting rooms are going to take place, um, you know, details in terms of the setting out of transcripts and meetings and arrangements and so on and so forth. And very importantly, usually for a finish up on, it will say that a draft report is issued to the parties of the investigation and they have an appropriate time frame to comment and how the final report and who takes responsibility for the final report and generally it will set out that, and I think this is an important point, the investigator is there to investigate. And typically the investigator comes to findings of fact and issues a final report. Thereafter, any issues arising is an entirely separate and distinct matter to the investigation. So in other words, typically in, in terms of reference, it will be made clear, the investigator and the report will not give any guidance in, in relation to whether disciplinary action should or shouldn't take place. The investigation is simply to investigate what has occurred. And very often Mary and myself come across on our travels a blurring of the lines between the investigatory process and any disciplinary process which should arise absolutely separately and distinctly to the investigatory process. And usually the terms of reference should make that very, very clear. One thing you mentioned there towards the end, Liam, was the investigator. Um, obviously, yeah. a key part of the investigation, the clues in the name, let's be honest. Yeah. But Mary, can, can you talk to us a little bit more about, I suppose, the, the role of the investigator? Because it obviously would have to be quite a, a clear set role, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, so the role of the investigator, as Liam rightly points out, is not the role of the uh, disciplinarian or the role of the um, person who's going to potentially hear an appeal if someone raises an appeal. So the investigator is entirely neutral and independent. Now that can be difficult to achieve if the investigator is selected from a member of the management team uh, or a member of the HR department because really how independent and neutral can that person actually be. That being said, those people are often tasked with carrying out workplace investigations. So lots of people ask me that question about, you know, what, what do you need to be a good investigator? Um, and look, I, I have counted, I have carried out countless investigations myself, as has Liam, and, and all of our team are experienced in this area. And it's probably the first thing I would say is you need a cool head. Um, you need to be the kind of person who doesn't leap to conclusions quickly. Um, you need to be fair in all your dealings with everybody you encounter, irrespective of what 
allegations are there against them or what complaints have been made or whatever concerns the employer might wish to raise. And so when you're being neutral and independent and objective uh, in the investigation, it involves um, being fair and listening to everybody's side of the story, asking open questions designed to uh, elicit the truth. Um, you're not there cross-examining someone in a witness box and everybody needs to be treated with dignity and respect, irrespective of, of the complaint or allegations against them. Um, and then you've got to be forensic, analytical and capable of writing a robust report that will withstand external scrutiny. And, you know, of all the people we've had carrying out investigations over the years, uh, it's probably the one area that HR people find most stressful. Um, the investigation itself, you know, interviewing people isn't usually a challenge for most HR people because most HR people would have been involved in, in some element of recruitment at some point in their career and most of us are good at asking open questions and trying to establish whether somebody can do a job or not so most HR people have that kind of skill already the challenge comes when it comes to being analytical um, and writing and the writing skill and so to me you need that as much as you need the ability to establish the facts, because when you come to write the report, you you've got to document all that you've heard in a report that's understood by anybody involved in the investigation so any party to the investigation so that's obviously uh let's say for in the if, if we take bullying for example it, you've got a complainant you've got a respondent you you've got witnesses and only the complainant and the respondent will see all documentation the witnesses won't um and you have to understand the limits of what you can do, the parameters under which you operate, and then ultimately, you know, how that report is going to be written. If, for instance, you are dealing with 10 allegations within a bullying complaint um, and you've interviewed anywhere between one and 10 witnesses, for example, you've got some volume of uh, paperwork to sift your way through and you have to come up with a structure for dealing with each of those issues, for setting out the uh, information that you gathered and being able to summarize it. And then at the very end, it's about, well, what are the facts? What have you actually been able to uh, prove is a fact? And what aren't you able to prove is a fact? And what are you doing about the um, allegations where the facts are contested and you've got different versions of events from different people? And all of these things pose challenges for the investigator during the investigation process. You've kind of given snippets there, Mary, of the, the next two parts of our series, which is fantastic because it's something we can 
talk about for a long time. Obviously, the next part of our series, we'll be talking about the evidence piece. Final part of the series, we'll be talking about the reports. So our listeners do do make sure to check back in for those. Mary has alluded to them there, but as you can as you can probably hear, there's so much more to talk about there. Liam, I suppose when we're talking about this um, stage of the process that we're at within workplace investigations, I think obviously the big piece is conducting the interviews. Um, when it comes to investigation interviews, what are the kind of key objectives or things to look out for when you're conducting them? Uh, yeah, Owen, I think I'd echo what, what Mary is saying there, that, you know, keep a check on your emotions, stay calm, because I think very often when you're conducting these interviews, people can get stressed or worried when attending a selection interview in a recruitment process. When we're potentially dealing with suspected theft or suspected bullying or alleged bullying or alleged sexual harassment, many people would be very, very uncomfortable and emotional at the, the interview process. So one of the things you have to do is, is try and show empathy uh, to all parties, whether they're a witness who might be uncomfortable coming to the uh, interview, being asked questions about their, their work colleagues, they may not very often want to get involved. Uh, if you're asking somebody questions about the allegation against them of them being an alleged bully, they're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be upset because it's it's, it's not a nice process. Um, you may be interviewing somebody who may be suspended on full pay pending an investigation into very, very serious allegations which may damage in, in, in future their career or their ability to pay their mortgage or their earnings in the future. So I think you have to be very, very empathetic and calm in your approach. Uh, very often you may have to delay or, or pause the interview to allow somebody who has become upset um, to recalibrate themselves. So I think it's trying to gain evidence in a sensitive and tactful way. And very often, you know, you can be diverted from the specifics of the terms of reference. So let's say the terms of reference is about ABC. A witness might want to talk about XYZ or somebody who's being uh, interviewed or potentially investigated might want to talk about something else. So it's about trying to keep yourself on track within the, the interview and to ask probing questions. So your interview is your, your opportunity or your vehicle to get the real evidence that you need to transfer into the, the investigation report. Um, so my advice would be look very, very much in detail at the complaints and about the, the um, physical evidence you have before the interview. So I think the questioning that you do or your pre-planning before the interview is incredibly important. And I think if you're looking at a, an interview of potentially 30 minutes, you should probably be taking an hour to an hour and a half to prepare for that interview of 30 minutes because you're going to, the, the last thing you want to own is not to capture within that, that interview or that period of time, all the questions that you have in relation to that particular witness or that particular um, interviewee. So it's very, very important that you prepare beforehand that you look at the complaints that you look at the dignity at work or discipline and grievance policy um, any other company policies um, and that you stay calm and if someone is getting upset to recognize that that someone is upset and to give time and I wouldn't feel comfortable and I don't think Mary would feel comfortable if someone is tearful and emotional to continue the interview I think you would always pause it um, you'd always say you know do you want a representative um, the representation is usually set out in the letter inviting the person, but pause the interview, give time, um, allow the person to compose themselves 
And I think try and probe and get the information you need in as sensitive and as tactful a way as possible. I also think it's important, Owen, that to recognize you are the investigator. And sometimes people will be reluctant to answer questions. And my view is always, you're the investigator. You've been assigned um, legitimately to conduct an investigatory process. Um, you're absolutely entitled to put legitimate and pertinent questions and probing questions to whether it's a witness or whether it's a, a main character in, in the process. Certainly in, in my past, I would have interviewed people who in one case, no comment, no comment, no comment, who you know, on the advice of their representative failed to answer basically any of the questions that I put to them. And my response was, well, look, you know, you can continue to say no comment to the questions that I'm asking you, but I am here as an investigator. I've been legitimately appointed by the company and I'm entitled and I will continue to ask the relevant questions. And in the report, I set out that I had put what I believe to be legitimate and pertinent questions, and I failed to get an appropriate response from the employee. Um, so they would be probably the main points I would make in relation to, I suppose, interviewing, but I think it's also experience. You change your approach as you go through the process. So the questions and, questions and your interviewing techniques on on investigation 10 are different to your interviewing techniques on investigation one. And that's just something you learn as you go through the process. I think it's as well important to say that, you know, one of the key and probably often under talked about skills of HR people in general, and, and certainly when it comes to investigations, is that steely quality um, that you have to have you know, when you're doing something like this. Um, Liam gave a great example of somebody, you know, refusing to participate, being there in body, but not in spirit, um, and maybe getting advice, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, that person chose not to participate. Um, I'm always clear with people right at the outset that I expect them to answer the questions that I ask. Um, that, you know, it's their opportunity to put forward their version of events or to explain something from their own perspective, that I will listen very carefully to what somebody has to say and take it into consideration. Um, but that I cannot guarantee that the outcome will be in their favour. And I think it's really important to do that because sometimes the person who's been interviewed, whether that's a complainant or a witness or a respondent or somebody who's potentially whose job is potentially on the line for something serious in terms of gross misconduct or misconduct. Um, sometimes they misinterpret your kindness uh, and empathy for agreement with their position um, and it's so important from an investigator perspective that you're not agreeing with people and there's nothing within uh, the recorded meeting or in the minutes of the meeting that indicates in any way that you're biased in favor of one person versus another that independence is key 
all the way through. And you can be very, very heavily criticized at the end of an investigation process if that uh, objectivity isn't there, if that independence isn't there. I mean, I think it's quite important to talk about those difficulties because obviously with a, a complex process like this, it will hopefully sometimes it will run smoothly. You'll get the, all the relevant information, that kind of stuff, but sometimes it doesn't. So I suppose my kind of final question for this installment, it's the perfect segue really, and I'll ask both of you, I'll come to yourself first, Liam. What are some of the kind of key investigation challenges you might have seen over the years, some reasons why certain investigations, I suppose, didn't succeed in their objectives? Well, the, there's a lot of different reasons. I think planning is incredibly important on, I think, sometimes when a client comes to us and says, I need a workplace investigation, and we'll sit down and, and before we start talking about terms of reference, you, you know, it's important to understand what has prompted you to come to us to say you need a workplace investigation. And sometimes the client themselves are actually unclear in relation to what it is exactly that they're investigating or that they're planning on investigating. So I think it's very, very important, going back a few stages, to look at the terms of reference and for all parties to the investigating, to the investigation, including the investigator, to understand clearly before we start what is the matter we are investigating and what are the specifics of the complaint or the allegation or uh, the terms of reference of the investigation. There's many challenges. Um, employees uh, may go sick and they may have a doctor's cert to say that they're not in a position to cooperate with the investigation. In that case, typically we write and try and ask acknowledging that they're on certified sick leave, but asking them if they're still in a position to um, engage with the investigation process and get doctor's certification to, to ensure that they are. Um, there are delays. Uh, sometimes that's company delays because we're looking for certain information. Uh, sometimes there's delays uh, in availability of people to interview. Very often on witnesses will not want to come to an internal investigation because they don't want to be seen as taking sides. And they very often say to me something like, well, I'll say to you, Liam, what I wish, but I don't want it going back to A or B. And that's very difficult because we have to say, well, look, it's all on the record. We have absolute transparency. So if you give me evidence in relation to either A or B, it will be going back to both A and B, and they'll be afforded an opportunity to comment. And it will form part of the final investigatory process. So very often you're dealing with parties who are reluctant, who are nervous, who are anxious, um, and you've got to try and empathetically uh, address their concerns, but at the same time, move the process along. And that's always a balance. I think one of the challenges I've often found is, you know, managing delays in the process. And very often it may be a particular employee who's delaying the process and when the investigation gathering um, process is closed and you're preparing to write your report, the same employee is coming to you and saying, well, when will I get the report? You know, why is this taking so long? And you're trying to balance and sort of say, well, look, we've had a number of delays and now moving to the investigation process. There's pressure from the client because the client wants the report, wants the investigation um, process gathered up because they want to come to a conclusion in relation to whatever the allegations are. So I think there's a lot of things about successfully managing all the different parties to the investigation, uh, not, not controlling them, I think, on, but 
having an element of influence over them so that you get a level of cooperation that when you send out a transcript, it gets signed and it gets sent back and that generally people cooperate. People are on annual leave, some people are on sick leave. So trying to successfully manage all the different interwoven parts of the investigation process, and there will always be specific curveballs or potholes in relation to every individual investigation that are simply distinct to that investigation. And I think you have to calmly navigate your way through that. And I think what Mary said is incredibly important, staying calm yourself as an investigator, because it is a stressful process. And you're going to have somebody at the end of the process who is not going to be happy. It's not going to be all roses in the garden and everyone is happy when you finalize your report. And you can have anger and you can have aggression and you can have nasty words said to you on the phone. And you have to be of the disposition to put the phone down, deal with it calmly, and then separate yourself and walk away from it. But I think having the confidence to know, I stuck to the terms of reference, I completed a fair and objective process, and I can stand over my findings if I'm in the WRC or Labour Court or wherever it is. Um, I think that's incredibly important. And I think my advice to anyone conducting a, an investigation out there, take your time. Don't rush to judgment because people will lie. People will tell you lies. That's a characteristic of, of society. And you have to navigate your way through all the evidence very, very carefully and consider it all before you finalize your report. And same question to yourself, Mary, anything to, to kind of add there? It sounds like an investigator has to be a little bit of a project manager as well, a lot of moving parts. Yeah, there, there, there is a huge element to project management because you've got to keep the investigation rolling at a pace so that it's being done in a timely manner. Delay is your enemy when it comes to an investigation. So I often say to HR people and to our clients, you know, if you can avoid taking this on yourself, do and outsource it because uh, it eats time. And it, it, it can take over the life of uh, an individual who's tasked with it if it's complex. Um, you know, I often think about one investigation in particular where on the very first interview with um, the, the respondent, um, he came forward with about 20 questions, which had clearly been prepared by an employment solicitor for me right at the outset and said, you know, before we start, uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about the process. Is that OK? And he went through, you know, really serious questions with me that I had to answer as part of the process, which was all on record. Um, and I can just imagine for somebody who doesn't have A, the experience, B, the knowledge, um, that something like that could be incredibly daunting and stressful. Um, so while the solicitor wasn't in the room, the questions were clearly prepared in advance and the person was well prepped and prepared for that particular uh, meeting with me. Um, and so, you know, I often think when it comes to a workplace investigation, actually nobody is happy. So the complainant is not happy. The respondent is not happy. 
the employer is not happy. Um, and that might be in a bullying, harassment, sexual harassment uh, investigation or with the grievance. Nobody is happy. Um, and likewise, when it comes to disciplinary investigations around issues of misconduct or gross misconduct, oh, nobody is happy because, you know, there's time and money and effort being put into something that doesn't feel very nice or positive or engaging or nice for anybody involved. Um, but it's a necessary job and any investigator needs to be able to rise above all of that, communicate appropriately with everybody involved from the complainant, to the respondent, to the witnesses, to the employer, if it's outsourced, if it's not outsourced to your manager, maybe, or to the CEO uh, who wants you to control costs on an investigation, for instance. So, you know, it, it's it's quite a challenging job. It's definitely not for the faint hearted. Um, we love it and the people on our team love it because we're, you know, trained and interested and spend our time working on this. You know, we're analytical, we're forensic, we're specifically hired for those purposes. You know, when we go out and look for people on that particular team, we're looking for people with those kind of skill sets um, and writing ability. You know, we're looking for that skill set when we hire, um, but they're not necessarily part of the normal skill set of HR people. And I really, really, really feel sorry and shout out to anybody out there who's doing one at the moment um, and doesn't know what to do, how to do it, and is muddling their way along. Let's let's hope something like this will help a little bit. Absolutely. And look, that's it for, I suppose, part one of our mini-series on workplace investigations. So thank you, Mary and Liam, for a very insightful discussion and a great start to, to this series, digging deeper into workplace investigations. As I said, quite complex things, so hopefully, hopefully this will help. Thank you to everyone for listening, obviously, and we'll catch you next week for the next and some of our podcasts. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Lee, man. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.